Welcome to the Collecting Confidence Podcast, where we'll explore confidence, what it is, why we need it, how we get it, and how we lose it. I'm John Barrett. Hello and welcome to Collecting Confidence. This is John Barrett, and today we're going to be talking with Ellen Meyer about singing and kids. She's a teacher and has been teaching kids for quite a while and has seen a lot of different things with confidence, her own and the students. We're talking about that, and I'll tell you a little bit about my own confidence as a singer. I sang in a barbershop chorus since I was in high school, and I got involved with a Christian singing group called Right Direction, and they had been well-established, and I came along to help them out when someone left. But I had been listening to their music, listening to the records, singing along, and kind of knew the lyrics, but didn't really know the notes. And so when I went to actually sing it by myself, I'd been so used to singing along with someone that I didn't know exactly which notes to sing. So I had this huge imposter syndrome because I didn't actually know what they expected me to know. And it was justified. I really didn't know it. But I sat down with the music and a keyboard, and I plunked it out note by note and actually learned each of the songs exactly note by note, which is what you should do. But that's the difference between going to something with no confidence and having confidence is that that concerted effort, that focused approach, that focused practice really moves you along a long way. And then suddenly I was able to get out in front of groups of two, 300 people and sing this song. And I just recommend if you are trying to gain confidence in an area to just really focus on it and put the time into it. It won't always happen right away. A lot of people have this imposter syndrome because they're a perfectionist and it can never be perfect. And I would say I sang that that musical several times and I don't think I ever sang it perfect, but I sang it well enough. And I think even singers who are using auto-tune or are doing 30 or 40 takes in the studio before they actually put something out there. A lot of people don't do it perfect. But if you're a perfectionist, it's really easy to get behind that and say, I I can't do it perfectly. No, but you do it well enough. Move on. That's what I would recommend. The other group is people that are naturals. They just have been able to do everything. And they just assume that they're going to be able to do everything on a first attempt. And they'd be ashamed if they failed or if something didn't work. And that's another area where people have a bit of imposter syndrome because it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't do it right on the first try. But if you look at Olympic, we're currently watching Olympic snowboarders go down the hill and they're the best in the world and they're still not getting it right. So are they imposters? No, they just fell. That's part of pushing that edge, trying to be the best, trying to be perfect is we're going to make mistakes along the way. And they do. But that's something that you know, you have to get over. You have to get over the I'm a natural, this should work the first time or else I'm a failure. One other area is the soloist, the person who is the islander is what I call it. And that islander, no man is an island. You can't do stuff by yourself. You need help. You need guidance. You need a teacher. You need a coach. You need a mentor. Whatever that is, don't feel like you have to do it all by yourself. To admit that you need help is not to admit defeat. It's just I want to get better. When I go to school, I don't self-study. I find a teacher. I find a professor, someone to help me. And that person that helps you can help validate you. And that's one of the biggest things that will lead to your confidence is to get that validation. And 
you know, time spent in practice, deliberate, targeted practice is great. But if you surround yourself with supportive people who will try to lift you up, that supportive narrative externally makes it so much easier for you to maintain a supportive narrative internally. And that is just one of the things that leads to confidence is having that supportive internal narrative. But that is a tough one because it's really easy to get down on ourselves, find a flaw, admit that we're not perfect, admit that we need help. We should be okay with that. We're moving on. We're getting better. And that's some of the stuff we're going to talk with Ellen Meyer about. So don't go away. Joining me now is Ellen Meyer. Ellen is a choral music teacher in a high school in Minnesota. Ellen, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here, John. I'm very excited to have you here because music is near and dear to my heart. But I want to know a little bit about your point of view on confidence. So the first thing I'm going to ask is what does confidence mean to you? Confidence actually, I think, make, is made up of three things. Knowledge, encouragement, and that's encouragement from others, and self-encouragement, also known as self-talk, and then a willingness to accept where you are or that that performance or what it is that you do is okay. And you're talking about accepting where you are right now. And we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're trying to teach choral music with a bunch of kids in a group singing. Are you okay with that, where it's at right now? Or how is that impacting your work? I have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people it's familiar. The year is feeling familiar, but it certainly isn't back to normal. Normal would have been chairs close to one another, shoulder to shoulder, no masks. Now we're three feet apart, mm -hmm. masked, which changes the sound a little bit um, and, and students hearing one another, obviously. And then they're coming back from a year of hybrid learning and then at-home learning. And then we were all here last year, but we had to be six feet apart and had to sing in the auditorium. When you were in school, were you in choir? I was. And what was, what was your confidence like at that point? Really pretty good. <laughs> so it, it's interesting. I knew since I was in seventh grade that I wanted to be a music teacher. I was actually in choir and band. I had gone to a little Catholic school that went from first through sixth grade and the public middle school is right across the street. So in fifth and sixth grade, I could go over to take band. Up to that point, I'd taken piano lessons since I think the summer after kindergarten. And I was kind of getting to the point where I could kind of play songs for myself and whatever is kind of getting to that point where, you know, parents start putting down the, the, the egg timer, right, or whatever. And you practice until whenever. And then wondering, well, you know, where, where's this going? What am I going to do? Well, all of a sudden I start band and realize that there's this transfer of knowledge and I've got to one up on my game because I can read music, I can hear it. I was percussionist, so I could play the bells, I could tune the timpani, I could you know read up read rhythms. So things came fairly easy for me. So there was that knowledge. I think that knowledge created some confidence in me. I finished sixth grade and then went to the public school and then they had a choir there. And I got to, to dabble in that. And that was, oh, that was so exciting, like two and three part harmony. And then the choir teacher asked me if I would be interested in accompanying the choir, I'm like accompanying, oh, really? So I tried that and that was just so exciting. And so 
there and began my excitement for and goal to be a music teacher. And here I am. I don't think a lot of people can say they knew what they wanted to be when they were in seventh grade. Was I always confident? Absolutely not. And we can talk about some of those things. We talk about, I talked about there was in band. I remember it was the fifth grade. It was the first concert and I had a timpani solo. The song was called, or the piece was called Timpatico. And I remember we were waiting out in the hallway and I was just a bundle of nerves. And so my band director, Mr. Petrick, put his arm on my, or hand on my shoulder. And, and, and I said, I'm really nervous. And then he said, Ellen, if you didn't care, you wouldn't be nervous. And just like that, the nerves started to calm. They weren't all gone, but they st started to calm. And uh, Mr. Petrick falls out of my mouth periodically with my own students. Nice. Yeah, we've talked about that with some of the people that it's okay to be nervous. That's even the the professional people get nervous, but uh, it's what you do with that and how, how you progress uh, beyond that. How did you uh, progress with your choral music then? Did you continue on? I did. So I stayed in band and choir in high school. And then when I went to college, I had to declare one or the other. I suppose I could have done both, but realized the time that it took into master, so to speak, just wasn't the track I was going to do. So I sang in choir there in college and studied piano as well. And then uh, did my student teaching. And here I am many years later, having taught anywhere from sixth grade through 12th grade. And are you still singing? Not with any kind of group right now, but um, I certainly have to keep up with some things, you know, in order to to do what I do mm -hmm. during the school. Um, each year, I'll even brush up with a voice voice coach or, or voice teachers. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, COVID has changed some choices and things that one could do too. So right now, no, but on my own. I was just going to ask about the voice coach because I had the opportunity to go to a wonderful voice coach. And Mary Dick was kind enough to work with me. And I feel like I'm not a very well-trained voice. I'm a very loud voice because I used to be a cheerleader, but I don't have a lot of training. And so she worked with me and I was much more confident after working with her a little bit. It's very reassuring for me to go to a music teacher like that and, you know, not get laughed out of the room, get some good feedback. What was your experience with working with a coach? Sure. And I'll, I'll say voice teacher. Um, she's actually teaches at um, St. Olaf and actually was one of the, was in my position before I took it at my school in, in suburban Minnesota. Um, she's fabulous. It just unlocks so many things. And I, I had a quote said to me when I was in college, uh, learning is discovering what you already know. I was like, wow, that I, I didn't, that makes sense, of course, having that opportunity and then learn some skills or tricks, if you will, and mindset, gosh, singing, like so many things is a mental game, music, so many things are a mental game, so imagery and that kind of thing, just to unlock those, because it's, it's easy to lose sight of some of those things in the day-to-day. -day. My research team tells me that your college had a motto of confidence to succeed, how does that play into your approach to singing or someone's approach to singing? How can they come at it with that confidence to succeed? Yes. In fact, uh, I was going to, when I was asked to do this podcast, I was thinking about that. It was the, the, the tagline while we were there. And, um, and I really do believe that knowledge is important for confidence. 
the more you know, the more you can try and do. And I also believe that the more you know, the less you feel you know. Hmm. So so it gives you that, sparks that fire to learn more, right? Because there's so much more out there. How does that impact you as you're approaching music? Right. And I'll, I'll, I'll just say not only music, but life. I think knowledge is really powerful. And I, I have a couple of examples that I would like to give some sure. music, some non-music. My cousin's granddaughter was diagnosed with diabetes at second grade. She said that her daughter was just beside herself because her granddaughter was, her daughter's daughter was feeling singled out by the students because sometimes she would have to leave early to go eat lunch so that she could get all of her right foods in to keep everything balanced for her. And then my cousin's granddaughter would come home crying, you know. And so anyway, my cousin had suggested to her daughter that, hey, knowledge is, it can be pretty powerful in this. And so anyway, my cousin's daughter, along with her daughter or granddaughter, did a little presentation at school on diabetes and the bag and the syringe and, you know, all those things and talking about what, what kind of foods she would need to eat in order to maintain her insulin level, that kind of thing. And lo and behold, those comments never happened again. Then I think about a situation where I was in, um, Rand, my significant other is a hunter and he has guns at his house in a safe, of course. But I told him, you know, when earlier on, when I first met, I like, I see a gun and I just, I clam up. I just, just get really nervous and uncomfortable and uneasy. And as I thought about that, I really would have boiled down to is lack of knowledge. I knew nothing about guns. I didn't grow up with them in my family at all or whatever. So anyway, we decided to go to a, a gun range, a shooting range or whatever, and put the goggles on and the ear protection and loaded a magazine. I was like, a magazine, you don't, don't page through that. <laughs> so, and, um, and it took away some of that mystery or that, you know, that I would just lock up and do that. And by the end, I was comfortable handling it, whatever. And, you know, right now, if I were to have one in my hand again, there'd be a little uneasiness because it was a one and done kind of thing. I think you'd have to perfect that like anything, you know, playing that instrument, you have to keep practicing. And, and, and the more you practice, the more you become comfortable with it. So I just, I, I've, I've seen those two things or have those two examples that would roll over right into that. So you learn, you learn more about your voice Mm -hmm. or how it works and how you sing. You learn more about your instrument and how to play it. And as you do that, you experience more success. And as you experience more success, you can become more confident. Mm -hmm. And is that, is that a straight road? No, (laughs) it's, it's ever weaving and winding and it's all part of a process. So when you're in a musical group, whether it's band or choir, you've got a bunch of people around you that are like-minded and probably aren't going to give you a hard time for being a choir person or a band person. But how important is it to surround yourself with people who are supportive versus people who want to tear you down or judge you or put you in your place? It's huge because of that encouragement and self-talk, I think are so important 
they go hand in hand. So to be encouraged by those around you that support you and love what you do, that is just so helpful. I think that helps to carry you so that when there are those days when you're doubting it, that you can uh, use that self-talk to say, yeah, this is, this is my jam. This is what I love to do. And it's okay doing or performing at the level that I'm performing. Mm -hmm. It's that self-talk trying to rephrase that from finding your faults to supporting yourself. I, I often laugh because there used to be, well, there is a, an old song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And it's like, you can't really go around feeling that or saying that to yourself all the time. But a lot of times we take the exact opposite approach. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. How can you, how can you straighten that out? How can you deal with that? That's difficult. <laughs> you know, and, and it just depends. There, there are just so many, so many things, external things that impact that. And I think one of the biggest things is what's, what's good enough. Well, it, for instance, you know, my, my performing right now, right? I'm not performing in a group, but I am in front of a group and we get close to the concert and it's like, what, what's going to be acceptable and what's not, what can we work on and control or control is probably a pretty strong word impact for the performance and what can we let go? You know, what, what's going to set them up for a successful experience. And yet not all of these elements are going to be at a perfectionist kind of level. And I think there's always that evaluation each time. And I, and I would bet those people on Broadway, the people who are getting paid this, you had mentioned Celine Dion earlier in our discussion before we started this, yeah, I'm sure they have their days, right? And what's, what's going to be okay? Because if we wait for perfection, right? what is perfection? Auto-tune, that's perfection, yeah. <laughs> but it is hard because yeah, there are things like auto-tune out there and you see people who post something online only at their absolute best. And so you think that's how they always sound. And that's not how they always sound. That's how the one time they let you hear it. I'm, I'm any record that's produced, you know, they sit and do it over and over again in the studio until it's perfect. But that's not how real life is. And we compare ourselves to that, it seems, and then come up short. Right. And there, and I think lies the part of the the thing I've been talking about with the freshmen being hesitant, right? Because they've just seen so much out there and and compare themselves and maybe feel they don't measure up to that. So there's a, a kind of a peeling, peeling away of the, the layers on them and then teaching them that it's a process, singing is a process and and performing is a process and what it is that we do. And how about the, we talk about collecting confidence as a process of something that you do over time. Do you have any examples of students who came in and maybe weren't confident to begin with, but gained some confidence over time, gathered that confidence over the years? Wow, I would think, not think, I would say that happens every year. And, you know, just to 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 give one example, I just can't even pull that out right now, but um, having the students at their entry level, right, as freshmen, and then get to see them stay on in the in the program, just to see that maturity and confidence in their singing and what they do over the four years is just a pretty cool thing. And, and that could be anywhere from, believe it or not, I have students say, 
I don't, I can't be in the front row. I, I, I'm scared to sing and I'm thinking, yes, I up for choir, but you know, they love it, but there's that performance anxiety, right? And then to see them singing in a singing Valentine their senior year or, you know, coming and talking to the freshmen that they've kind of went beyond that, that barrier or turned that corner or whatever that was. And some of that just is maturity and some of that's skill and some of that's falling in love with the music. It's funny when you talk about being in the front row, the first time I was in a barbershop chorus, I did not know how to sing. I didn't know the song really well. So they put me in the back row, which I thought was great, except that in the back row, the sound is all going forward and you can't hear anything coming from behind. There's nothing and there's no monitor. So you don't get any sound back. I felt like I was in a vacuum and there was just nothing there. There was no one to lean on that was singing apart. All the sound was going away. So I, since then, I always try to be in the front row, not because I want to be, but because I need to be. I need to, I need to hear what everyone's singing. Right. And there's a, you know, there's another lesson in performance practices or in, in, in singing or, or being in a group that, you know, when you move from venue to venue, from the choir room to the performing arts center or singing in a hallway or whatever, the, the rules change mm -hmm. with acoustics and sound. So, so you've known since seventh grade that you wanted to be a music teacher. And I'm guessing that you're pretty confident at this point about being a music teacher. Has, have there been issues along the way, times when you doubted yourself? Yes. There, there are days you go into the classroom and you walk out and go, wow, that didn't go so well. <laughs> or, you know, um, I, I just think that's life, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. And yet when day is done, it's a rewarding, rewarding experience. And you don't let that one time pull you down and say, that's it, I'm quitting, I'm doing something new. No. A, lot of, a lot of times I see people that try something once, it doesn't work well for them and they don't try it again. And a lot of times I think you have to try stuff over and over again, even like riding a bike. It's a lot of fun once you can do it, but you might fall down a few times on the way. Do you have any kids that you've had to really talk into continuing? Yeah, well, we're getting into that season right now, registration for the following year. And sometimes it's just an invitation to do that. And, and it's interesting, I'll be in a conference with parents and I'll say, wow, you know, your son or daughter has a great musical aptitude, a great ear. And I just really, I see them doing this for four years and whatnot. And they said, oh, this is great, but can you tell them? Because if, if it comes from us, you know, I said, absolutely. And if I'm too overbearing, then you're going to have to tell me to back off or whatever. But a lot of times it's just, uh, you know, that, that invitation and that, that belief in them. And there, there in lies that encouragement, right. To, to, to let them know that you've got this skill and, um, and that you believe in them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veer off a little bit because I, I do volunteer work. I'm part of a volunteer program called Hennepin Connections. It pairs mentors with uh, students. Mentors, it's at the Basilica of St. Mary. So Hennepin Avenue divides the Basilica and Minneapolis College. And so we have a group of us who are mentors to students that are over there that have either been in poverty or are homeless. I have this mentee right now with my fourth year with her and she's going to graduate this spring, but um, came to college as an adult. She started, I think, 31, 32, six children and now has three grandchildren working full-time and going to school. And she's amazing. But my point is that she 
was told by her parents, you know, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're, you know, and after a while you believe that, right? When I first met her, she had said that um, she has a goal to rise out of poverty and to have her children witness that. And anyway, I'd said to her, I said, well, if you were told this, that you were not good or going to amount to anything or whatever, what was the turning point? And she said she decided to go back to get her GED. And um, when she was there, the people, the people who worked with her, the teachers that were there had just said, oh my gosh, you need to go to college. You, you got this, you're smart. And she is 3.8 GPA right now. Okay. And the power of that encouragement, right. And the, and the power of that self-talk. And so my role in that mentorship is just to listen. And, you know, she has a lot of the answers, you know, when they're, when they're questioned, she has a lot of the answers and every once in a while just needs that encouragement, you know, is, you know, am I validated in feeling this way or can I do this? Or should I talk to the, the professor or whatever? And then just to tell her, Hey, you're doing awesome. 3.8 GPA. You're working full-time. You're a grandma, you're a parent, you're, you're a student. So it, it goes a long, long way. And then I'll bring it over to music. I just think that encouragement goes, it just goes a long way to, to give that a try. And even, even to get out on the stage, like if somebody's doing a solo last year, so we had the crazy year, right? It was hybrid. I had half the kids there. And of course it was by alphabet. So it wasn't, you know, we have the right amount of sopranos and the right amount of altos and the right amount of tenors and the right amount of basses, you know, it might be two tenors and 10 sopranos or whatever, right? We didn't get to do a concert, but we were going to do a video recording and standing from their chairs in the house or the audience part of the auditorium. Anyway, I had some students audition to do a solo. I chose or selected the, this one student. And after I announced it, she comes back and said, I don't know if I want to do the solo. I said, wow. I said, well, tell me more about that. And she said, well, I don't know. And she just, she couldn't really articulate it very well, but what came out is she was worried about what her peers were going to think and that it wasn't good enough. And I said, well, I wouldn't have selected you to do that solo if it wasn't good enough. And so I had to kind of step back and we took some baby steps and I said, why don't we start? Why don't you sing in the choir room? You know, well, let's just start there and just say, hey, we're going to try some things out. And, you know, it's not a done deal that you have the solo for the concert or whatever. And so she did. She sang in front of the group. And at the end, I said, how about a hand for the student? And they clapped and cheered. And they said, how about some feedback? And wow, you were awesome. Wow, that took courage. Your voice is so pretty, you know. And so when I talked to her afterwards, she said, I couldn't, or I was surprised at what they said. And then I said, you mean you didn't think they would think that kind of thing? And she said, no, bingo, right? So that self-talk or whatever, getting in the way. And then just that little nudge. So then I said, so how about it? Want to give it a try? And then she said, I want to sing one more time in the choir room or whatever. And I said, okay. So sometimes there's the art of backing off, right? As a teacher or director or whatever. Anyway, she experienced success again. And it wasn't a, all right, let's, you know, give it up for so-and-so. It was an immediate clap again. And then I said, how about it? How about singing it? Singing when we do the video, video concert, so to speak. It went well. 
I've been watching some of the highlights of So You Think You've Got Talent or whatever, America's Got Talent. And it always interests me when they have someone out there who seems timid and doesn't know if they can sing and they've just always wanted to give it a shot. And they start singing and about 10 seconds into it, the people start applauding and you can just see their eyes light up and a smile come across their face. And you can hear in their voice a little bit more confidence. And at the end, when they get this huge thunderous applause, they practically break down crying because they just were so sure that they weren't going to be accepted. They weren't going to be liked. And it's, it turned out to be different and you know, pleasantly different. But I think that's a huge thing, getting that support from others, especially if it's people that you trust and you know, are no, um, who, who would you say are the people that have supported you the most as you were going through your, I'm going to be a teacher and helping you along? Well, first the, the teacher, teachers that inspired me at the middle school, really the band teacher and the, and the choir teacher, just awesome interviews. That's a classic question, right? Who, who inspired you or, you know, whatever. And, and I just didn't have to think about it. You know, just came, came right out there. Uh, I would say my uh, music ed teacher at college, College of St. Catherine, really, gosh, just believe me, we're still, we're still in contact. She's 90 some years old and still is, still supports, you know, wants to know what's going on and in education and all of that. There was that support and then, you know, peers and friends. So I remember um, my first concert, some some friends, some St. Kate's friends came to my first concert, you know, and and then then colleagues as well. Gosh, if if we didn't have our colleagues in, and especially during this whole pandemic thing, we were reduced to nobody wrote the book on teaching during a pandemic. So whether you had 30 years or three years, we were all trying to figure this out together and and collectively. And I I wasn't uh, lighting the world on fire with my technology skills, that's for sure. So <laughs> so so some of the younger you know or people who were more adept at the the technology piece really helped me out, and I was able. Able to help problem solve and tap the brakes or you know or whatever and it, collectively we helped each other out and and even even before that right so um, that's really important and in performance or in in performance there, sometimes there can be a lot of egos so I've been very fortunate to have people who've put the kids first and when you do that you can work collaboratively and so I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the same way that you had that teacher in middle school that you looked up to, there's some kids that have come through that look up to you. Do you know of any kids that have gone on to music success and come back to say thank you? Yes. <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and you don't, you just don't, don't always know it, but um, we had a teacher who came back actually to teach Spanish at our high school. He showed up for to audition for the musical and I hadn't seen him in the choir department as he was heading out after his audition I said so what's your story what what do you do <laughs> what are you what are you doing and I, at the time he was playing football and I said have you ever thought of singing you know you could be in choir it's not you don't have to do stuff after you know after school or whatever anyway so invited him he came came on board and then when he was at in college he was a double major music and spanish and then went teaching spanish but's done things with the minnesota opera and um yeah and realtor he does he does a bazillion things so yeah that's pretty cool and another student who is one of our school board members i 
went down the, I think it was a similar experience too. We had auditioned for the musical and they said, hey, we haven't seen you in the department and would love to have you, you know, on board. And then just recently I got a woman reached out to me on Facebook, taught her at the, when she was in middle school and just said, she's raising her own kids or whatever. And it thanked me for some making the lesson fun, but holding them accountable. And, you know, it just, it just was out of the blue and something I just, just shake my head, go, wow, that's pretty (laughs) cool. So in you really, in really in teaching, you don't always know good, bad, or otherwise how you're impacting a person. You just don't, you don't get that feedback Mm -hmm. right away or always. So when those things come out of the blue, it's pretty rewarding. That's great. Well, before we go, is there any one tip that you could give us to help us to gain or maintain our confidence? I think it's important, like you'd said, to surround yourself with people who support you so that you have that encouragement for when those times when you're not around them, that you have the courage to use the, the self-talk and, and, um, and help yourself to uh, go into that situation or to that performance or whatever it is that you're going to do. And then just always continue to learn about what it is and self-assess. I think that's helpful and important. You know, sometimes I suppose it can go the other way. You get to, you know, so much and you want to be that, but you can't or or think you can't. So, um, and that's, I think, where the willingness to accept where you're at and just try to make it better. Because if you wait to have it be perfection, you you might not ever do it. That's great. I Perfectionism is a tough road to walk down because you're just never good enough. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us today. You're welcome. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Today's tip of the day is to surround yourself with support. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can get more information about confidence and check out the merchandise store on the website at collectingconfidence.com. If you like what you heard, subscribe and pass the link along to a friend who needs to collect confidence. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It's one of the only ways to know if I'm doing a good job. Another way to let me know is to go to the support page. Consider making a small monthly pledge. A pledge as small as the cost of a cup of coffee each month goes a long way to keep the episodes and the information coming your way. The last way to let me know what you think is to drop by our Facebook page or send me an email at john at collectingconfidence.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you. Now let's go collect confidence.